spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio! Welcome. It's the final week, I believe, of Bronte, Bronte, Bronte. Sorry, Anne, we never got to you. Maybe next time. We're going to be finishing off with Withering Heights. And we will also have some Ken Height talking about Withering Heights. Funny how that happened. And also, thank you for listening. And next month, I think is Ghost Stories, because it's October. And if you want to help the show, want to know what's going on, you want to be a part of it, you've got some stuff that you want to do, read, whatever... Go to pgttcm.com, subscribe where you subscribe to podcasts, tell your friends to subscribe, rate, review, talk about it, contact us, find out how to get some cool stickers, and we'll set you up. So pgttcm.com, on Facebook as pgttcm, and Black Clock Audio Tales. Also on Instagram as Black Clock Audio Tales and Twitter, which we don't use that much as Black Clock Audio Tales, PGTTCM. Thank you again, and yeah, you can also check us out on YouTube and listen to Monster Kid Radio and look for me next week at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in Portland, Oregon at the Hollywood Theater, even though I'll probably be over at the Hollywood Senior Center doing role-playing game stuff and being on panels. Domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Chapter 18. The twelve years, continued Mrs. Dean, following that dismal period, were the happiest of my life. My greatest troubles in their passage rose from our little lady's trifling illnesses, which she had to experience in common with all children, rich and poor. For the rest, after the first six months, she grew like a larch, and could walk and talk, too, in her own way, before the heath blossomed a second time over Mrs. Linton's dust. She was the most winning thing that ever brought sunshine into a desolate house, a real beauty in face, with the Earnshaw's handsome dark eyes, but the Linton's fair skin and small features, and yellow curling hair. Her spirit was high, though not rough, and qualified by a heart sensitive and lively to excess in its affections. 
That capacity for intense attachments reminded me of her mother. Still, she did not resemble her, for she could be soft and mild as a dove, and she had a gentle voice and pensive expression. Her anger was never furious, her love never fierce. It was deep and tender. However, it must be acknowledged she had faults to foil her gifts. A propensity to be saucy was one, and a perverse will that indulged children invariably acquire, whether they be good-tempered or cross. If a servant chanced to vex her, it was always, I shall tell papa, and if he reproved her even by a look, you would have thought it a heart-breaking business. I don't believe he ever did speak a harsh word to her. He took her education entirely on himself, and made it an amusement. Fortunately, curiosity and a quick intellect made her an apt scholar. She learned rapidly and eagerly, and did honour to his teaching. Till she reached the age of thirteen, she had not once been beyond the range of the park by herself. Mr. Linton would take her with him a mile or so outside on rare occasions— but he trusted her to no one else. Gimmerton was an unsubstantial name in her ears, the chapel the only building she had approached or entered except her own home. Wuthering Heights and Mr. Heathcliff did not exist for her, she was a perfect recluse, and apparently perfectly contented. Sometimes, indeed, while surveying the country from her nursery window, she would observe, Ellen... How long will it be before I can walk to the top of those hills? I wonder what lies on the other side. Is it the sea? No, Miss Cathy, I would answer. It is hills again, just like these. And what are those golden rocks like when you stand under them? She once asked. The abrupt descent of Peniston Crags particularly attracted her notice especially when the setting sun shone on it and the topmost heights, and the whole extent of landscape besides lay in shadow. I explained that they were bare masses of stone, with hardly enough earth in their clefts to nourish a stunted tree. "'And why are they bright so long after it is evening here?' she pursued. "'Because they are a great deal higher up than we are,' replied I. You could not climb them, they're too high and steep. In winter the frost is always there before it comes to us, and deep into summer I have found snow under that black hollow on the northeast side. Oh, you have been on them, she cried gleefully. Then I can go too when I am a woman. Has Papa been, Ellen? Papa would tell you, miss, I answered hastily, that they are not worth the trouble of visiting. The moors where you ramble with him are much nicer, and Thrushcross Park is the finest place in the world. But I know the park, and I don't know those, she murmured to herself. And I should delight to look round me from the brow of that tallest point. My little pony Minnie shall take me some time. One of the maids mentioning the fairy cave quite turned her head with a desire to fulfil this project. She teased Mr. Linton about it, and he promised she should have the journey when she got older. 
but Miss Catherine measured her age by months, and now am I old enough to go to Peniston Crags? was the constant question in her mouth. The road thither wound close by Wuthering Heights. Edgar had not the heart to pass it, so she received as constantly the answer, Not yet, love, not yet. I said Mrs. Heathcliff lived above a dozen years after quitting her husband. Her family were of a delicate constitution. She and Edgar both lacked the ruddy health that you will generally meet in these parts. What her last illness was, I am not certain. I conjecture they died of the same thing, a kind of fever, slow at its commencement but incurable, and rapidly consuming life towards the close. She wrote to inform her brother of the probable conclusion of a four months' indisposition under which she had suffered, and entreated him to come to her if possible, for she had much to settle, and she wished to bid him adieu, and deliver Linton safely into his hands. Her hope was that Linton might be left with him as he had been with her, his father, she would fain convince herself, had no desire to assume the burden of his maintenance or education. My master hesitated not a moment in complying with her request. Reluctant as he was to leave home at ordinary calls, he flew to answer this, commanding Catherine to my peculiar vigilance in his absence, with reiterated orders that she must not wander out of the park, even under my escort. He did not calculate on her going unaccompanied. It was away three weeks. The first day or two my charge sat in a corner of the library, too sad for either reading or playing. In that quiet state she caused me little trouble, but it was succeeded by an interval of impatient, fretful weariness, and being too busy and too old then to run up and down amusing her, I hit on a method by which she might entertain herself. I used to send her on her travels round the grounds, now on foot and now on a pony, indulging her with a patient audience of all her real and imaginary adventures when she returned. The summer shone in full prime, and she took such a taste for this solitary rambling that she often contrived to remain out from breakfast till tea, and then the evenings were spent in recounting her fanciful tales. I did not fear her breaking bounds, because the gates were generally locked, and I thought she would scarcely venture forth alone if they had stood wide open. Unluckily, my confidence proved misplaced. Catherine came to me one morning at eight o'clock, and said she was that day an Arabian merchant— going to cross the desert with his caravan, and I must give her plenty of provision for herself and beasts, a horse and three camels, personated by a large hound and a couple of pointers. I got together good store of dainties and slung them in a basket on one side of the saddle, and she sprang up as gay as a fairy, sheltered by her wide-brimmed hat and gauze veil from the July sun and trotted off with a merry laugh, mocking my cautious counsel to avoid galloping, and come back early. 
the naughty thing never made her appearance at tea. One traveller, the hound, being an old dog and fond of its ease, returned, but neither Cathy nor the pony nor the two pointers were visible in any direction. I dispatched emissaries down this path and that path, and at last went wandering in search of her myself. There was a labourer working at a fence round a plantation on the borders of the grounds. I inquired of him if he had seen our young lady. I saw her at morn, he replied. She would have me to cut her a hazel switch, and then she leapt her galloway over the hedge yonder where it is lowest, and galloped out of sight. You may guess how I felt at hearing this news. It struck me directly she must have started for Peniston Crags. What will become of her? I ejaculated, pushing through a gap which the man was repairing and making straight to the high road. I walked as if for a wager, mile after mile, till a turn brought me in view of the heights. But no Catherine could I detect far or near. The crags lie about a mile and a half beyond Mr. Heathcliff's place, and that is four from the Grange, so I began to fear night would fall ere I could reach them. And what if she should have slipped in clambering among them? I reflected, and been killed or broken some of her bones. My suspense was truly painful and at first it gave me delightful relief to observe, in hurrying by the farmhouse, Charlie, the fiercest of the pointers, lying under a window with swelled head and bleeding ear. I opened the wicket and ran to the door, knocking vehemently for admittance. A woman whom I knew, and who formerly lived at Gimmerton, answered. She had been servant there since the death of Mr. Earnshaw. Ah! said she. You're coming a-seeking your little mistress. Don't be frightened. She's here safe, but I'm glad it isn't the master. He's not at home, then, is he? I panted, quite breathless with quick walking and alarm. No, no, she replied. Both he and Joseph are off, and I think they won't return this hour or more. Step in and rest you a bit. I entered, and beheld my stray lamb seated on the hearth, rocking herself in a little chair that had been her mother's when a child. Her hat was hung against the wall, and she seemed perfectly at home, laughing and chattering, in the best spirits imaginable, to Hareton, now a great strong lad of eighteen, who stared at her with considerable curiosity and astonishment comprehending precious little of the fluent succession of remarks and questions which her tongue never ceased pouring forth. "'Very well, miss!' I exclaimed, concealing my joy under an angry countenance. "'This is your last ride till papa comes back. I'll not trust you over the threshold again, you naughty, naughty girl!' "'Aha, Ellen!' she cried gaily, jumping up and running to my side. "'I shall have a pretty story to tell to-night, and so you found me out. Have you ever been here in your life before?' "'Put that hat on and home at once,' said I. "'I'm dreadfully grieved at you, Miss Cathy. You've done extremely wrong. 
"'It's no use pouting and crying. "'That won't repay the trouble I've had "'scouring the country after you. "'To think how Mr. Linton charged me to keep you in, "'and you stealing off so. "'It shows you are a cunning little fox "'and nobody will put faith in you any more.' "'What have I done?' sobbed she, instantly checked. "'Papa charged me nothing. He'll not scold me, Ellen. He's never cross like you.' "'Come, come,' I repeated. "'I'll tie the ribband. Now let us have no petulance.' "'Oh, for shame, you thirteen years old and such a baby!' This exclamation was caused by her pushing the hat from her head, "'and retreating to the chimney out of my reach. "'Nay,' said the servant, "'don't be hard on the bonny lass, Mrs. Dean. "'We made her stop. "'She'd fain have ridden forward, "'so feared you should be uneasy. "'Hareton offered to go with her, "'and I thought he should. "'It's a wild road over the hills.' "'Hareton, during the discussion, "'stood with his hands in his pockets, "'too awkward to speak.' "'though he looked as if he did not relish my intrusion. "'How long am I to wait?' "'I continued, disregarding the woman's interference. "'It will be dark in ten minutes. "'Where is the pony, Miss Cathy? "'And where is Phoenix? "'I shall leave you unless you be quick, so please yourself.' "'The pony is in the yard,' she replied. "'And Phoenix is shut in there. "'He's bitten, and so is Charlie.' "'I was going to tell you all about it, but you are in a bad temper and don't deserve to hear.' "'I picked up her hat and approached to reinstate it, "'but perceiving that the people of the house took her part, "'she commenced capering round the room, "'and on my giving chase ran like a mouse over and under and behind the furniture, "'rendering it ridiculous for me to pursue.' Hareton and the woman laughed, and she joined them, and waxed more impertinent still, till I cried in great irritation, "'Well, Miss Cathy, if you were aware whose house this is, you'd be glad enough to get out.' "'It's your father's, isn't it?' said she, turning to Hareton. "'Nay,' he replied, looking down and blushing bashfully. He could not stand a steady gaze from her eyes, though they were just his own. "'Who's then, your masters?' she asked. He coloured deeper with a different feeling, muttered an oath, and turned away. "'Who is his master?' continued the tiresome girl, appealing to me. "'He talked about our house and our folk. I thought he had been the owner's son, and he never said miss.' "'He should have done, shouldn't he, if he's a servant?' "'Hareton grew black as a thundercloud at this childish speech. "'I silently shook my questioner, "'and at last succeeded in equipping her for departure. "'Now get my horse,' she said, "'addressing her unknown kinsman "'as she would one of the stable boys at the Grange. "'And you may come with me.' "'I want to see where the goblin-hunter rises in the marsh, "'and to hear about the fairishes, as you call them. "'But make haste. "'What's the matter? "'Get my horse, I say.' "'I'll see thee damned before I be thy servant,' growled the lad. "'You'll see me what?' 
asked Catherine in surprise. Damn, thou saucy witch, he replied. There, Miss Cathy, you see you have got into pretty company, I interposed. Nice words to be used to a young lady. Pray don't begin to dispute with him. Come, let us seek for Minnie ourselves and be gone. But Ellen, cried she, staring fixed in astonishment. How dare he speak so to me? Mustn't he be made to do as I ask him? You wicked creature, I shall tell papa what you said. Now then. Hareton did not appear to feel this threat, so the tears sprang into her eyes with indignation. You bring the pony, she exclaimed, turning to the woman, and let my dog free this moment. Softly, miss, answered she addressed. You'll lose nothing by being civil. Though Mr. Hareton there be not the master's son, he's your cousin, and I was never hired to serve you. He, my cousin, cried Cathy with a scornful laugh. Yes, indeed, responded her reprover. Oh, Ellen, don't let them say such things, she pursued in great trouble. Papa is gone to fetch my cousin from London. My cousin is a gentleman's son. That my— She stopped and wept outright, upset at the bare notion of relationship with such a clown. Hush, hush, I whispered. People can have many cousins and of all sorts, Miss Cathy, without being any the worse for it. Only they needn't keep their company if they be disagreeable and bad. He's not, he's not my cousin Ellen, she went on, gathering fresh grief from reflection and flinging herself into my arms for refuge from the idea. I was much vexed at her and the servant for their mutual revelations, having no doubt of Linton's approaching arrival, communicated by the former, being reported to Mr. Heathcliff and feeling as confident that Catherine's first thought on her father's return would be to seek an explanation of the latter's assertion concerning her rude-bred kindred. Hareton, recovering from his disgust at being taken for a servant, seemed moved by her distress, and having fetched the pony round to the door, he took, to propitiate her, a fine crooked-legged terrier whelp from the kennel, and putting it into her hand, bid her whist, for he meant naught. Pausing in her lamentations, she surveyed him with a glance of awe and horror, then burst forth anew. I could scarcely refrain from smiling at this antipathy to the poor fellow, who was a well-made athletic youth, good-looking in features and stout and healthy, but attired in garments befitting his daily occupations of working on the farm and lounging among the moors after rabbits and game. Still, I thought I could detect in his physiognomy a mind owning better qualities than his father ever possessed. Good things lost amid a wilderness of weeds, to be sure, whose rankness far overtopped their neglected growth. Yet, notwithstanding, evidence of a wealthy soil that might yield luxuriant crops under other and favourable circumstances. 
Mr. Heathcliff, I believe, had not treated him physically ill, thanks to his fearless nature, which offered no temptation to that course of oppression. He had none of the timid susceptibility that would have given zest to ill-treatment in Heathcliff's judgment. He appeared to have bent his malevolence on making him a brute. He was never taught to read or write, never rebuked for any bad habit which did not annoy his keeper, never led a single step towards virtue, or guarded by a single precept against vice. And from what I heard, Joseph contributed much to his deterioration by a narrow-minded partiality, which prompted him to flatter and pet him as a boy, because he was the head of the old family. And as he had been in the habit of accusing Catherine Earnshaw and Heathcliff, when children, of putting the master past his patience, and compelling him to seek solace in drink, by what he termed their offald ways, so at present he laid the whole burden of Hareton's faults on the shoulders of the usurper of his property. If the lad swore, he wouldn't correct him, nor however culpably he behaved. It gave Joseph satisfaction, apparently, to watch him go the worst lengths. He allowed that the lad was ruined, that his soul was abandoned to perdition, but then he reflected that Heathcliff must answer for it. Hareton's blood would be required at his hands, and there lay immense consolation in that thought. Joseph had instilled into him a pride of name and of his lineage. He would, had he dared, have fostered hate between him and the present owner of the Heights, but his dread of that owner amounted to superstition, and he confined his feelings regarding him to muttered innuendos and private combinations. I don't pretend to be intimately acquainted with the mode of living customary in those days at Wuthering Heights. I only speak from hearsay, for I saw little. The villagers affirmed Mr. Heathcliff was near, and a cruel hard landlord to his tenants, but the house inside had regained its ancient aspect of comfort under female management, and the scenes of riot common in Hindley's time were not now enacted within its walls. The master was too gloomy to seek companionship with any people, good or bad, and he is yet. This, however, is not making progress with my story. Miss Cathy rejected the peace-offering of the terrier, and demanded her own dogs, Charlie and Phoenix. They came limping and hanging their heads, and we set out for home, sadly out of sorts, every one of us. I could not wring from my little lady how she had spent the day, except that, as I supposed, the goal of her pilgrimage was Peniston Crags, and she arrived without adventure to the gate of the farmhouse, when Hareton happened to issue forth, "'attended by some canine followers who attacked her train. "'They had a smart battle before their owners could separate them. "'That formed an introduction. "'Catherine told Hareton who she was and where she was going, "'and asked him to show her the way, "'finally beguiling him to accompany her. "'He opened the mysteries of the fairy cave "'and twenty other queer places.' 
but being in disgrace, I was not favoured with a description of the interesting object she saw. I could gather, however, that her guide had been a favourite, till she hurt his feelings by addressing him as a servant, and Heathcliff's housekeeper hurt hers by calling him her cousin. Then the language he had held to her rankled in her heart. She, who was always love and darling and queen and angel with everybody at the Grange, to be insulted so shockingly by a stranger. She did not comprehend it, and hard work I had to obtain a promise that she would not lay the grievance before her father. I explained how he objected to the whole household at the Heights, and how sorry he would be to find she had been there. But I insisted most on the fact that if she revealed my negligence of his orders, he would perhaps be so angry that I should have to leave. And Cathy couldn't bear that prospect. She pledged her word and kept it for my sake. After all, she was a sweet little girl. End of chapter 18 Recording by Ruth Golding Domain Recording by Ruth Golding Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 19 A letter edged with black announced the day of my master's return. Isabella was dead, and he wrote to bid me get mourning for his daughter, and arrange a room and other accommodations for his youthful nephew. Catherine ran wild with joy at the idea of welcoming her father back, and indulged most sanguine anticipations of the innumerable excellencies of her real cousin. The evening of their expected arrival came, since early morning she had been busy ordering her own small affairs, and now attired in her new black frock. Poor thing, her aunt's death impressed her with no definite sorrow. She obliged me, by constant worrying, to walk with her down through the grounds to meet them. "'Linton is just six months younger than I am,' she chattered, as we strolled leisurely over the swells and hollows of mossy turf under shadow of the trees. "'How delightful it will be to have him for a playfellow! Aunt Isabella sent Papa a beautiful lock of his hair. It was lighter than mine, more flaxen and quite as fine. I have it carefully preserved in a little glass box, and I've often thought what a pleasure it would be to see its owner. Oh, I am happy! And Papa, dear, dear Papa!' "'Come, Ellen, let us run! Come, run!' She ran and returned and ran again many times before my sober footsteps reached the gate, and then she seated herself on the grassy bank beside the path and tried to wait patiently, but that was impossible. She couldn't be still a minute. "'How long they are!' she exclaimed. "'Ah, I see some dust on the road. They're coming!' No. When will they be here? May we not go a little way, half a mile, Ellen, only just half a mile? Do say yes, to that clump of birches at the turn. I refused staunchly. At length her suspense was ended, the travelling carriage rolled in sight, 
Miss Cathy shrieked and stretched out her arms as soon as she caught her father's face looking from the window. He descended nearly as eager as herself, and a considerable interval elapsed ere they had a thought to spare for any but themselves. While they exchanged caresses, I took a peep in to see after Linton. He was asleep in a corner, wrapped in a warm fur-lined cloak, as if it had been winter, a pale, delicate, effeminate boy, who might have been taken for my master's younger brother, so strong was the resemblance. But there was a sickly peevishness in his aspect that Edgar Linton never had. The latter saw me looking, and having shaken hands, advised me to close the door and leave him undisturbed, for the journey had fatigued him. Cathy would fain have taken one glance, but her father told her to come, and they walked together up the park, while I hastened before to prepare the servants. "'Now, darling,' said Mr. Linton, addressing his daughter, as they halted at the bottom of the front steps, "'your cousin is not so strong or so merry as you are, and he has lost his mother, remember, a very short time since.' "'Therefore don't expect him to play and run about with you directly. "'And don't harass him much by talking. "'Let him be quiet this evening at least, will you?' "'Yes, yes, papa,' answered Catherine. "'But I do want to see him, and he hasn't once looked out.' "'The carriage stopped, and the sleeper being roused "'was lifted to the ground by his uncle.' "'This is your cousin Cathy, Linton,' he said, putting their little hands together. "'She's fond of you already, and mind you don't grieve her by crying tonight. "'Try to be cheerful now. "'The travelling is at an end, and you have nothing to do but rest and amuse yourself as you please.' "'Let me go to bed, then,' answered the boy, shrinking from Catherine's salute.' "'and he put his fingers to remove incipient tears. "'Come, come, there's a good child,' I whispered, leading him in. "'You'll make her weep too. "'See how sorry she is for you.' "'I do not know whether it was sorrow for him, "'but his cousin put on as sad a countenance as himself "'and returned to her father.' All three entered and mounted to the library, where tea was laid ready. I proceeded to remove Linton's cap and mantle, and placed him on a chair by the table. But he was no sooner seated than he began to cry afresh. My master inquired what was the matter. "'I can't sit on a chair,' sobbed the boy. "'Go to the sofa, then, and Ellen shall bring you some tea.' "'answered his uncle patiently. "'He had been greatly tried during the journey, "'I felt convinced by his fretful, ailing charge. "'Linton slowly trailed himself off and lay down. Cathy carried a footstool and her cup to his side. "'At first she sat silent, but that could not last. "'She had resolved to make a pet of her little cousin, "'as she would have him to be.' and she commenced stroking his curls and kissing his cheek, and offering him tea in her saucer like a baby. This pleased him, for he was not much better, 
he dried his eyes and lightened into a faint smile. "'Oh, he'll do very well,' said the master to me after watching them a minute. "'Very well, if we can keep him, Ellen. "'The company of a child of his own age will instill new spirit into him soon, "'and by wishing for strength he'll gain it.' "'Ay, if we can keep him,' I mused to myself, "'and sore misgivings came over me that there was slight hope of that.' And then I thought, however will that weakling live at Wuthering Heights? Between his father and Hareton, what playmates and instructors they'll be! Our doubts were presently decided, even earlier than I expected. I had just taken the children upstairs after tea was finished, and seen Linton asleep. He would not suffer me to leave him till that was the case. I had come down and was standing by the table in the hall, lighting a bedroom candle for Mr. Edgar, when a maid stepped out of the kitchen and informed me that Mr. Heathcliff's servant, Joseph, was at the door and wished to speak with the master. "'I shall ask him what he wants first, I said in considerable trepidation. "'A very unlikely hour to be troubling people, and the instant they have returned from a long journey.' I don't think the master can see him. Joseph had advanced through the kitchen as I uttered these words, and now presented himself in the hall. He was donned in his Sunday garments, with his most sanctimonious and sourest face, and holding his hat in one hand and his stick in the other, he proceeded to clean his shoes on the mat. "'Good evening, Joseph,' I said coldly. "'What business brings you here tonight?' "'It's Mr. Lenton I'm and speak to,' he answered, waving me disdainfully aside. "'Mr. Linton is going to bed. "'Unless you have something particular to say, I'm sure he won't hear it now,' I continued. "'You had better sit down in there and entrust your message to me.' "'Which is his arm?' pursued the fellow." "'surveying the range of closed doors. "'I perceived he was bent on refusing my mediation, "'so very reluctantly I went up to the library "'and announced the unseasonable visitor, "'advising that he should be dismissed till next day. "'Mr. Linton had no time to empower me to do so, "'for Joseph mounted close at my heels, "'and pushing into the apartment, "'planted himself at the far side of the table.' with his two fists clapped on the head of his stick, and began in an elevated tone, as if anticipating opposition. "'Earthcliff has sent me for his lad, and I won't go back about him.' Edgar Linton was silent a minute. An expression of exceeding sorrow overcast his features. He would have pitied the child on his own account, but, recalling Isabella's hopes and fears, and anxious wishes for her son, and her commendations of him to his care, he grieved bitterly at the prospect of yielding him up, and searched in his heart how it might be avoided. No plan offered itself. The very exhibition of any desire to keep him would have rendered the claimant more peremptory. There was nothing left but to resign him. 
However, he was not going to rouse him from his sleep. "'Tell Mr. Heathcliff,' he answered calmly, "'that his son shall come to Wuthering Heights tomorrow. "'He is in bed and too tired to go the distance now. "'You may also tell him that the mother of Linton "'desired him to remain under my guardianship, "'and at present his health is very precarious.' "'No!' said Joseph, giving a thud with his prop on the floor, and assuming an authoritative air. "'No, that means not. Heathcliff makes no count of mother, nor ye nother, but he'll owe his lad, and I'm on tack him, so now you know.' "'You shall not to-night,' answered Linton decisively. "'Walk downstairs at once, and repeat to your master what I have said.' "'Ellen, show him down. "'Go!' "'And aiding the indignant elder with a lift by the arm, "'he rid the room of him and closed the door. "'For a wheel!' shouted Joseph as he slowly drew off. "'To morn he's come in cell and thrust him out if you dare!' End of chapter 19 Recording by Ruth Golding Recording by Ruth Golding Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 20 To obviate the danger of this threat being fulfilled, Mr. Linton commissioned me to take the boy home early on Catherine's pony, and, said he, as we shall now have no influence over his destiny, good or bad, you must say nothing of where he has gone to my daughter. She cannot associate with him hereafter, and it is better for her to remain in ignorance of his proximity, lest she should be restless and anxious to visit the heights. Merely tell her his father sent for him suddenly, and he has been obliged to leave us. Linton was very reluctant to be roused from his bed at five o'clock, and astonished to be informed that he must prepare for further travelling but I softened off the matter by stating that he was going to spend some time with his father, Mr. Heathcliff, who wished to see him so much he did not like to defer the pleasure till he should recover from his late journey. "'My father!' he cried in strange perplexity. "'Mamma never told me I had a father. Where does he live? I'd rather stay with Uncle.' "'He lives a little distance from the Grange.' I replied, just beyond those hills. Not so far, but you may walk over here when you get hearty. And you should be glad to go home and to see him. You must try to love him as you did your mother, and then he will love you. But why have I not heard of him before? asked Linton. Why didn't Mamma and he live together as other people do? "'He had business to keep him in the north,' I answered, "'and your mother's health required her to reside in the south.' "'And why didn't Mamma speak to me about him?' persevered the child. "'She often talked of Uncle, and I learnt to love him long ago. "'How am I to love Papa? I don't know him.' "'Oh, all children love their parents,' I said. "'Your mother perhaps thought you would want to be with him, 
if she mentioned him often to you. Let us make haste. An early ride on such a beautiful morning is much preferable to an hour's more sleep. Is she to go with us? he demanded. The little girl I saw yesterday? Not now, replied I. Is uncle? he continued. No, I shall be your companion there, I said. Linton sank back on his pillow and fell into a brown study. I won't go without uncle, he cried at length. I can't tell where you mean to take me. I attempted to persuade him of the naughtiness of showing reluctance to meet his father. Still he obstinately resisted any progress towards dressing, and I had to call for my master's assistance in coaxing him out of bed. The poor thing was finally got off, with several delusive assurances that his absence should be short, that Mr. Edgar and Cathy would visit him, and other promises equally ill-founded which I invented and reiterated at intervals throughout the way. The pure heather-scented air, the bright sunshine and the gentle canter of Minnie relieved his despondency after a while. He began to put questions concerning his new home and its inhabitants with greater interest and liveliness. "'Is Wuthering Heights as pleasant a place as Thrushcross Grange?' he inquired, turning to take a last glance into the valley, whence a light mist mounted and formed a fleecy cloud on the skirts of the blue. "'It is not so buried in trees,' I replied, "'and it is not quite so large, but you can see the country beautifully all round, and the air is healthier for you, fresher and drier.' You will, perhaps, think the building old and dark at first, though it is a respectable house, the next best in the neighbourhood. And you will have such nice rambles on the moors. Hareton Earnshaw, that is Miss Cathy's other cousin, and so yours in a manner, will show you all the sweetest spots, and you can bring a book in fine weather, and make a green hollow your study.' "'and now and then your uncle may join you in a walk. "'He does frequently walk out on the hills.' "'And what is my father like?' he asked. "'Is he as young and handsome as uncle?' "'He's as young,' said I, "'but he has black hair and eyes and looks sterner, "'and he is taller and bigger altogether. He'll not seem to you so gentle and kind at first, perhaps, because it is not his way. Still, mind you, be frank and cordial with him, and naturally he'll be fonder of you than any uncle, for you are his own. Black hair and eyes, mused Linton. I can't fancy him. Then I am not like him, am I? Not much, I answered. Not a morsel, I thought, surveying with regret the white complexion and slim frame of my companion, and his large, languid eyes, his mother's eyes, save that, unless a morbid touchiness kindled them a moment, they had not a vestige of her sparkling spirit. "'How strange that he should never come to see Mamma and me,' he murmured. "'Has he ever seen me?' 
"'If he has, I must have been a baby. "'I remember not a single thing about him.' "'Why, Master Linton,' said I, "'three hundred miles is a great distance, "'and ten years seem very different in length "'to a grown-up person compared with what they do to you.' It is probable Mr. Heathcliff proposed going from summer to summer, but never found a convenient opportunity, and now it is too late. Don't trouble him with questions on the subject. It will disturb him for no good. The boy was fully occupied with his own cogitations for the remainder of the ride, till we halted before the farmhouse garden gate. I watched to catch his impressions in his countenance. He surveyed the carved front and low-browed lattices, the straggling gooseberry bushes and crooked firs, with solemn intentness, and then shook his head. His private feelings entirely disapproved of the exterior of his new abode. But he had sense to postpone complaining. There might be compensation within. Before he dismounted, I went and opened the door. It was half-past six. The family had just finished breakfast. The servant was clearing and wiping down the table. Joseph stood by his master's chair, telling some tale concerning a lame horse, and Hareton was preparing for the hayfield. "'Hello, Nelly,' said Mr. Heathcliff when he saw me. "'I feared I should have to come down and fetch my property myself.' "'You've brought it, have you? "'Let us see what we can make of it.' "'He got up and strode to the door. "'Hareton and Joseph followed in gaping curiosity. "'Poor Linton ran a frightened eye over the faces of the three. "'Surely,' said Joseph, after a grave inspection, "'is swapped with ye, maister, and yon's his lass.' "'Heathcliff,' having stared his son into an ague of confusion, uttered a scornful laugh. "'God, what a beauty! What a lovely, charming thing!' he exclaimed. "'Haven't they reared it on snails and sour milk, Nelly? Oh, damn my soul, but that's worse than I expected, and the devil knows I was not sanguine!' I bid the trembling and bewildered child get down and enter. He did not thoroughly comprehend the meaning of his father's speech, or whether it were intended for him. Indeed, he was not yet certain that the grim, sneering stranger was his father. But he clung to me with growing trepidation, and on Mr. Heathcliff's taking a seat and bidding him come hither, he hid his face on my shoulder and wept. "'Tut-tut,' said Heathcliff, stretching out a hand and dragging him roughly between his knees, and then holding up his head by the chin. "'None of that nonsense. We're not going to hurt thee, Linton. Isn't that thy name? Thou art thy mother's child entirely. Where is my share in thee, puling chicken?' He took off the boy's cap and pushed back his thick flaxen curls, felt his slender arms and his small fingers, during which examination Linton ceased crying and lifted his great blue eyes to inspect the inspector. 
Do you know me? asked Heathcliff, having satisfied himself that the limbs were all equally frail and feeble. No, said Linton, with a gaze of vacant fear. You've heard of me, I dare say. No, he replied again. No? What a shame of your mother, never to waken your filial regard for me. You are my son, then, I'll tell you. And your mother was a wicked slut to leave you in ignorance of the sort of father you possessed. Now, don't wince and colour up. Though it is something to see you have not white blood. Be a good lad, and I'll do for you. Nelly, if you be tired, you may sit down. If not, get home again. I guess you'll report what you hear and see to the cipher at the Grange, and this thing won't be settled while you linger about it. Well, replied I, I hope you'll be kind to the boy, Mr. Heathcliff, or you'll not keep him long. And he's all you have akin in the wide world that you will ever know, remember? I'll be very kind to him, you needn't fear, he said, laughing. Only nobody else must be kind to him. I'm jealous of monopolising his affection. And to begin my kindness, Joseph, bring the lad some breakfast. Hareton, you infernal calf, be gone to your work. Yes, Nell, he added when they had departed. My son is prospective owner of your place, and I should not wish him to die till I was certain of being his successor. Besides, he's mine, and I want the triumph of seeing my descendant fairly lord of their estates, my child hiring their children to till their father's lands for wages. That is the sole consideration which can make me endure the whelp. I despise him for himself and hate him for the memories he revives, but that consideration is sufficient is as safe with me, and shall be tended as carefully as your master tends his own. I have a room upstairs furnished for him in handsome style. I've engaged a tutor also to come three times a week, from twenty miles distance, to teach him what he pleases to learn. I've ordered Hareton to obey him, and in fact I've arranged everything with a view to preserve the superior and the gentleman in him, above his associates. I do regret, however, that he so little deserves the trouble. If I wished any blessing in the world, it was to find him a worthy object of pride, and I'm bitterly disappointed with the way-faced whining wretch. While he was speaking, Joseph returned bearing a basin of milk porridge and placed it before Linton, who stirred round the homely mess with a look of aversion and affirmed he could not eat it. I saw the old man-servant shared largely in his master's scorn of the child, though he was compelled to retain the sentiment in his heart, because Heathcliff plainly meant his underlings to hold him in honour. "'Cannot eat it,' repeated he, peering in Linton's face, and subduing his voice to a whisper for fear of being overheard. "'But Master Hareton never ate nought else when he were a little un, "'and what were good enough for him's good enough for ye, I'd rather think.' "'I shan't eat it,' answered Linton snappishly. "'Take it away.' 
Joseph snatched up the food indignantly and brought it to us. Is there our tails, the victuals? he asked, thrusting the tray under Heathcliff's nose. What should ail them? he said. Wah, answered Joseph. Yon dainted chap says he cannot eat them, but I guess it's right. His mother were just so. We were almost too mucked so it called for macking her braid. Don't mention his mother to me, said the master angrily. Get him something he can eat, that's all. What is his usual food, Nelly? I suggested boiled milk or tea, and the housekeeper received instructions to prepare some. Come, I reflected, his father's selfishness may contribute to his comfort. He perceives his delicate constitution and the necessity of treating him tolerably. I'll console Mr. Edgar by acquainting him with the turn Heathcliff's humour has taken. Having no excuse for lingering longer, I slipped out while Linton was engaged in timidly rebuffing the advances of a friendly sheepdog. But he was too much on the alert to be cheated. As I closed the door, I heard a cry and a frantic repetition of the words, Don't leave me! I'll not stay here! I'll not stay here! Then the latch was raised and fell. They did not suffer him to come forth. I mounted Minnie and urged her to a trot, and so my brief guardianship ended. End of chapter 20 Recording by Ruth Golding Recording by Ruth Golding Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 21 We had sad work with little Cathy that day. She rose in high glee, eager to join her cousin, and such passionate tears and lamentations followed the news of his departure that Edgar himself was obliged to soothe her by affirming he should come back soon. He added, however, if I can get him, and there were no hopes of that. This promise poorly pacified her, but time was more potent, and though still at intervals she inquired of her father when Linton would return, before she did see him again his features had waxed so dim in her memory that she did not recognise him. When I chanced to encounter the housekeeper of Wuthering Heights in paying business visits to Gimmerton, I used to ask how the young master got on, for he lived almost as secluded as Catherine herself, and was never to be seen. I could gather from her that he continued in weak health, and was a tiresome inmate. She said Mr. Heathcliff seemed to dislike him ever longer and worse, though he took some trouble to conceal it. He had an antipathy to the sound of his voice, and could not do at all with his sitting in the same room with him many minutes together. There seldom passed much talk between them. Linton learnt his lessons and spent his evenings in a small apartment they called the parlour, or else lay in bed all day for he was constantly getting coughs and colds and aches and pains of some sort. "'And I never know such a faint-hearted creature,' added the woman. "'No one's so careful of his helm. "'He will go on if I leave the window open a bit late in the evening. 
Oh, it's killing a breath of night air. And he must have a fire in the middle of summer. And Joseph's backer pipe is poison. And he must always have sweets and dainties and always milk, milk forever. Heeding not how the rest of us are pinched in winter. And there he'll sit wrapped in his furred cloak in his chair by the fire. With some toast and water or other slop on the hob to sip at. And if Hareton, for pity, comes to amuse him, Hareton is not bad-natured, though he's rough. They're short apart, one swearing and the other crying. I believe the master would relish Earnshaw's thrashing him to a mummy, if he were not his son, and I'm certain he would be fit to turn him out of doors if he knew half the nursing he gives his selm. But then he won't go into danger of temptation. He never enters the parlour. And should Linton show those ways in the house where he is, he sends him upstairs directly. I divined from this account that utter lack of sympathy had rendered young Heathcliff selfish and disagreeable, if he were not so originally, and my interest in him consequently decayed, though still I was moved with a sense of grief at his lot and a wish that he had been left with us. Mr. Edgar encouraged me to gain information. He thought a great deal about him, I fancy, and would have run some risk to see him, and he told me once to ask the housekeeper whether he ever came into the village. She said he had only been twice on horseback accompanying his father, and both times he pretended to be quite knocked up for three or four days afterwards. That housekeeper left, if I recollect rightly, two years after he came, and another whom I did not know was her successor. She lives there still. Time wore on at the Grange in its former pleasant way till Miss Cathy reached sixteen. On the anniversary of her birth we never manifested any signs of rejoicing, because it was also the anniversary of my late mistress's death. Her father invariably spent that day alone in the library, and walked at dusk as far as Gimmerton Kirkyard, where he would frequently prolong his stay beyond midnight. Therefore Catherine was thrown on her own resources for amusement. This twentieth of March was a beautiful spring day, and when her father had retired, my young lady came down dressed for going out, and said she asked to have a ramble on the edge of the moor with me. Mr. Linton had given her leave if we went only a short distance, and were back within the hour. "'So make haste, Ellen,' she cried. "'I know where I wish to go, where a colony of moor-game has settled. I want to see whether they have made their nests yet.' "'That must be a good distance up,' I answered. They don't breed on the edge of the moor. No, it's not, she said. I've gone very near with Papa. I put on my bonnet and sallied out, thinking nothing more of the matter. She bounded before me and returned to my side, and was off again like a young greyhound. And at first I found plenty of entertainment in listening to the lark singing far and near, and enjoying the sweet warm sunshine and watching her, my pet and my delight, with her golden ringlets flying loose behind, 
and her bright cheek as soft and pure in its bloom as a wild rose, and her eyes radiant with cloudless pleasure. She was a happy creature, and an angel in those days. It's a pity she could not be content. Well, said I, where are your moor game, Miss Cathy? We should be at them. The Grange Park fence is a great way off now. Oh, a little further, only a little further, Ellen, was her answer continually. Climb to that hillock, past that bank, and by the time you reach the other side I shall have raised the birds. But there were so many hillocks and banks to climb and pass that at length I began to be weary and told her we must halt and retrace our steps. I shouted to her as she had outstripped me a long way. She either did not hear or did not regard, for she still sprang on, and I was compelled to follow. Finally she dived into a hollow, and before I came in sight of her again, she was two miles nearer Wuthering Heights than her own home, and I beheld a couple of persons arrest her, one of whom I felt convinced was Mr. Heathcliff himself. Cathy had been caught in the fact of plundering, or at least hunting out, the nests of the grouse. The heights were Heathcliff's land, and he was reproving the poacher. "'I've neither taken any nor found any,' she said, as I toiled to them, expanding her hands in corroboration of the statement. "'I didn't mean to take them.' "'But Papa told me there were quantities up here, and I wished to see the eggs.' "'Heathcliff glanced at me with an ill-meaning smile, "'expressing his acquaintance with the party, "'and consequently his malevolence towards it, "'and demanded who Papa was. "'Mr. Linton of Thrushcross Grange,' she replied. "'I thought you did not know me, or you wouldn't have spoken in that way.' "'You suppose Papa is highly esteemed and respected, then?' he said sarcastically. "'And what are you?' inquired Catherine, gazing curiously on the speaker. "'That man I've seen before. Is he your son?' She pointed to Hareton, the other individual, who had gained nothing but increased bulk and strength by the addition of two years to his age. He seemed as awkward and rough as ever. "'Miss Cathy,' I interrupted, "'it will be three hours instead of one that we are out presently. "'We really must go back.' "'No, that man is not my son,' answered Heathcliff, pushing me aside. "'But I have one, and you have seen him before, too. "'And though your nurse is in a hurry, "'I think both you and she would be the better for a little rest.' "'Will you just turn this nab of heath and walk into my house? "'You'll get home earlier for the ease, and you shall receive a kind welcome.' "'I whispered Catherine that she mustn't on any account accede to the proposal. "'It was entirely out of the question. "'Why?' she asked aloud. "'I'm tired of running, and the ground is dewy. I can't sit here. "'Let us go, Ellen.' "'Besides, he says I have seen his son. "'He's mistaken, I think, but I guess where he lives, "'at the farmhouse I visited in coming from Penniston Crags, don't you?' "'I do. Come, Nelly, hold your tongue. 
"'It will be a treat for her to look in on us. "'Ayrton, get forwards with the lass. "'You shall walk with me, Nelly.' "'No, she's not going to any such place,' I cried, "'struggling to release my arm, which he had seized. "'But she was almost at the door-stones already, "'scampering round the brow at full speed. "'Her appointed companion did not pretend to escort her. "'He shied off by the roadside and vanished.' "'Mr. Heathcliff, it's very wrong,' I continued. "'You know you mean no good. "'And there she'll see Linton, "'and all will be told as soon as ever we return, "'and I shall have the blame.' "'I want her to see Linton,' he answered. "'He's looking better these few days. "'It's not often he's fit to be seen, "'and will soon persuade her to keep the visit secret. "'Where is the harm of it?' "'The harm of it is that her father would hate me "'if he found I suffered her to enter your house, "'and I am convinced you have a bad design "'in encouraging her to do so,' I replied. "'My design is as honest as possible. "'I'll inform you of its whole scope,' he said. "'That the two cousins may fall in love and get married. "'I'm acting generously to your master.' "'His young chit has no expectations, "'and should she second my wishes, "'she'll be provided for at once "'as joint successor with Linton.' "'If Linton died,' I answered, "'and his life is quite uncertain, "'Catherine would be the heir.' "'No, she would not,' he said. "'There is no clause in the will to secure it so. "'His property would go to me.' "'but to prevent disputes I desire their union, "'and am resolved to bring it about. "'And I am resolved she shall never approach your house with me again,' "'I returned, as we reached the gate where Miss Cathy waited our coming. "'Heathcliff bade me be quiet, "'and preceding us up the path hastened to open the door.' My young lady gave him several looks, as if she could not exactly make up her mind what to think of him. But now he smiled when he met her eye, and softened his voice in addressing her, and I was foolish enough to imagine the memory of her mother might disarm him from desiring her injury. Linton stood on the hearth. He had been out walking in the fields, for his cap was on, and he was calling to Joseph to bring him dry shoes. He had grown tall of his age, still wanting some months of sixteen. His features were pretty yet, and his eye and complexion brighter than I remembered them, though with merely temporary lustre borrowed from the salubrious air and genial sun. "'Now, who is that?' asked Mr. Heathcliff, turning to Cathy. "'Can you tell?' "'Your son?' she said. "'having doubtfully surveyed first one and then the other. "'Yes, yes,' answered he. "'But is this the only time you have beheld him? "'Think. Ah, you have a short memory. "'Linton, don't you recall your cousin "'that you used to tease us so with wishing to see?' "'What, Linton?' cried Cathy, "'kindling into joyful surprise at the name. "'Is that little Linton?' "'He's taller than I am. Are you, Linton?' "'The youth stepped forward and acknowledged himself, 
she kissed him fervently, and they gazed with wonder at the change time had wrought in the appearance of each. Catherine had reached her full height, her figure was both plump and slender, elastic as steel, and her whole aspect sparkling with health and spirits. Linton's looks and movements were very languid, and his form extremely slight, but there was a grace in his manner that mitigated these defects, and rendered them not unpleasing. After exchanging numerous marks of fondness with him, his cousin went to Mr. Heathcliff, who lingered by the door, dividing his attention between the objects inside and those that lay without, pretending, that is, to observe the latter, and really noting the former alone. "'And you are my uncle, then?' she cried, reaching up to salute him. "'I thought I liked you, though you were cross at first. Why don't you visit at the Grange with Linton? To live all these years such close neighbours and never see us is odd.' "'What have you done so for?' "'I visited it once or twice too often before you were born,' he answered. "'There, damn it! "'If you have any kisses to spare, give them to Linton. "'They're thrown away on me.' "'Naughty Ellen!' exclaimed Catherine, "'flying to attack me next with her lavish caresses. "'Wicked Ellen, to try to hinder me from entering!' "'but I'll take this walk every morning in future. "'May I, Uncle, and sometimes bring Papa? "'Won't you be glad to see us?' "'Of course,' replied the Uncle, "'with a hardly suppressed grimace "'resulting from his deep aversion "'to both the proposed visitors. "'But stay,' he continued, "'turning towards the young lady. "'Now I think of it, I'd better tell you. "'Mr. Linton has a prejudice against me.' "'We quarrelled at one time of our lives with unchristian ferocity. "'And if you mention coming here to him, "'he'll put a veto on your visits altogether. "'Therefore you must not mention it, "'unless you be careless of seeing your cousin hereafter. "'You may come, if you will, but you must not mention it.' "'Why did you quarrel?' asked Catherine, considerably crestfallen. "'He thought me too poor to wed his sister.' "'answered Heathcliff, and was grieved that I got her. "'His pride was hurt, and he'll never forgive it.' "'That's wrong,' said the young lady. "'Some time I'll tell him so. "'But Linton and I have no share in your quarrel. "'I'll not come here, then. "'He shall come to the Grange.' "'It will be too far for me,' murmured her cousin. "'To walk four miles would kill me.' "'No, come here, Miss Catherine, now and then. "'Not every morning, but once or twice a week.' "'The father launched towards his son a glance of bitter contempt. "'I am afraid, Nelly, I shall lose my labour. "'He muttered to me. "'Miss Catherine, as the ninny calls her, "'will discover his value and send him to the devil. "'Now,' "'If it had been Hareton, do you know that twenty times a day I covet Hareton, with all his degradation? "'I'd have loved the lad had he been someone else. "'But I think he's safe from her, love. "'I'll pit him against that paltry creature unless it bestir itself briskly. 
We calculate it will scarcely last till it is eighteen. Oh, confound the vapid thing. He's absorbed in drying his feet and never looks at her. Linton? Yes, father, answered the boy. Have you nothing to show your cousin anywhere about? Not even a rabbit or a weasel's nest? Take her into the garden before you change your shoes, and into the stable to see your horse. Wouldn't you rather sit here? asked Linton, addressing Cathy in a tone which expressed reluctance to move again. I don't know, she replied, casting a longing look to the door, and evidently eager to be active. He kept his seat and shrank closer to the fire. Heathcliff rose and went into the kitchen, and from thence to the yard, calling out for Hareton. Hareton responded, and presently the two re-entered. The young man had been washing himself, as was visible by the glow on his cheeks and his wetted hair. "'Oh, I'll ask you, uncle,' cried Miss Cathy, recollecting the housekeeper's assertion. "'That is not my cousin, is he?' "'Yes,' he replied. "'Your mother's nephew. Don't you like him?' Catherine looked queer. "'Is he not a handsome lad?' he continued. The uncivil little thing stood on tiptoe and whispered a sentence in Heathcliff's ear. He laughed. Hareton darkened. I perceived he was very sensitive to suspected slights, and had obviously a dim notion of his inferiority. But his master or guardian chased the frown by exclaiming, "'You'll be the favourite among us, Hareton.' She says you are a, what was it? Well, something very flattering. Here, you go with her round the farm, and behave like a gentleman, mind. Don't use any bad words, and don't stare when the young lady is not looking at you, and be ready to hide your face when she is. And when you speak, say your words slowly, and keep your hands out of your pockets. Be off, and entertain her as nicely as you can. He watched the couple walking past the window. Earnshaw had his countenance completely averted from his companion. He seemed studying the familiar landscape with a stranger's and an artist's interest. Catherine took a sly look at him, expressing small admiration. She then turned her attention to seeking out objects of amusement for herself, and tripped merrily on, "'lilting a tune to supply the lack of conversation. "'I've tied his tongue,' observed Heathcliff. "'He'll not venture a single syllable all the time. "'Nelly, you recollect me at his age, nay, some years younger. "'Did I ever look so stupid, so gormless, as Joseph calls it?' "'Worse,' I replied, "'because more sullen with it.' "'I've a pleasure in him,' he continued, reflecting aloud. "'He has satisfied my expectations. "'If he were a born fool, I should not enjoy it half so much. "'But he is no fool, and I can sympathise with all his feelings, "'having felt them myself. "'I know what he suffers now, for instance, exactly. "'It is merely a beginning of what he shall suffer, though.' 
and he'll never be able to emerge from his bathos of coarseness and ignorance. I've got him faster than his scoundrel of a father secured me, and lower, for he takes a pride in his brutishness. I've taught him to scorn everything extra animal as silly and weak. Don't you think Hindley would be proud of his son if he could see him? Almost as proud as I am of mine. But there's this difference. One is gold put to the use of paving stones, and the other is tin polished to ape a service of silver. Mine has nothing valuable about it, yet I shall have the merit of making it go as far as such poor stuff can go. These had first-rate qualities, and they are lost, rendered worse than unavailing. I have nothing to regret. He would have more than any but I are aware of. And the best of it is, Ayrton is damnably fond of me. You'll own that I've outmatched Hindley there. If the dead villain could rise from his grave to abuse me for his offspring's wrongs, I should have the fun of seeing the said offspring fight him back again, indignant that he should dare to rail at the one friend he has in the world. Heathcliff chuckled a fiendish laugh at the idea. I made no reply, because I saw that he expected none. Meantime, our young companion, who sat too removed from us to hear what was said, began to evince symptoms of uneasiness, probably repenting that he had denied himself the treat of Catherine's society for fear of a little fatigue. His father remarked the restless glances wandering to the window, and the hand irresolutely extended towards his cap. "'Get up, you idle boy!' he exclaimed with assumed heartiness. "'Away after them! They're just at the corner by the stand of hives!' Linton gathered his energies and left the hearth. The lattice was open, and as he stepped out, I heard Cathy inquiring of her unsociable attendant what was that inscription over the door. Hareton stared up and scratched his head like a true clown. "'It's some damnable writing,' he answered. "'I cannot read it.' "'Can't read it?' cried Catherine. I can read it. It's English. But I want to know why it is there. Linton giggled, the first appearance of mirth he had exhibited. He does not know his letters, he said to his cousin. Could you believe in the existence of such a colossal dunce? Is he all he should be? asked Miss Cathy seriously. Or is he simple, not right? I've questioned him twice now, and each time he looked so stupid, I think he does not understand me. I can hardly understand him, I'm sure. Linton repeated his laugh and glanced at Hareton tauntingly, who certainly did not seem quite clear of comprehension at that moment. There's nothing the matter but laziness, is there, Earnshaw? he said. My cousin fancies you are an idiot. There you experience the consequence of scorning book-learning, as you would say. Have you noticed, Catherine, his frightful Yorkshire pronunciation? Why, where the devil is a use, aunt? 
growled Hareton, more ready in answering his daily companion. He was about to enlarge further, but the two youngsters broke into a noisy fit of merriment, my giddy miss being delighted to discover that she might turn his strange talk to matter of amusement. "'Where is the use of the devil in that sentence?' tittered Linton. "'Papa told you not to say any bad words, and you can't open your mouth without one. "'Do try to behave like a gentleman, now do.' "'If thou weren't more a lass than a lad, I'd fell thee this minute, I would, pitiful lathe of a crater,' "'retorted the angry boar, retreating, while his face burnt with mingled rage and mortification.' "'for he was conscious of being insulted "'and embarrassed how to resent it. "'Mr. Heathcliff, having overheard the conversation as well as I, "'smiled when he saw him go, "'but immediately afterwards cast a look of singular aversion "'on the flippant pair, who remained chattering in the doorway, "'the boy finding animation enough "'while discussing Hareton's faults and deficiencies.' and relating anecdotes of his goings-on, and the girl relishing his pert and spiteful sayings without considering the ill-nature they evinced. I began to dislike more than to compassionate Linton, and to excuse his father in some measure for holding him cheap. We stayed till afternoon. I could not tear Miss Cathy away sooner, but happily my master had not quitted his apartment, and remained ignorant of our prolonged absence. As we walked home, I would fain have enlightened my charge on the characters of the people we had quitted, but she got it into her head that I was prejudiced against them. "'Aha!' she cried. "'You take papa's side, Ellen. You are partial, I know.' "'or else you wouldn't have cheated me so many years "'into the notion that Linton lived a long way from here. "'I'm really extremely angry, "'only I'm so pleased I can't show it. "'But you must hold your tongue about my uncle. "'He's my uncle, remember, "'and I'll scold Papa for quarrelling with him.' "'And so she ran on, "'till I relinquished the endeavour to convince her of her mistake.' She did not mention the visit that night, because she did not see Mr. Linton. Next day it all came out, sadly to my chagrin. And still, I was not altogether sorry. I thought the burden of directing and warning would be more efficiently borne by him than me. But he was too timid in giving satisfactory reasons for his wish that she should shun connection with the household of the Heights and Catherine liked good reasons for every restraint that harassed her petted will. "'Papa!' she exclaimed after the morning's salutations. "'Guess whom I saw yesterday in my walk on the moors?' "'Ah, Papa, you started. You've not done right, have you now? I saw—but listen, and you shall hear how I found you out. And Ellen, who is in league with you—' and yet pretended to pity me so when I kept hoping and was always disappointed about Linton's coming back. She gave a faithful account of her excursion and its consequences, and my master, though he cast more than one reproachful look at me, said nothing till she had concluded. Then he drew her to him, 
and asked if she knew why he had concealed Linton's near neighbourhood from her. Could she think it was to deny her a pleasure that she might harmlessly enjoy? It was because you disliked Mr. Heathcliff, she answered. Then you believe I care more for my own feelings than yours, Cathy? He said. No, it was not because I disliked Mr. Heathcliff, but because Mr. Heathcliff dislikes me, and is a most diabolical man, delighting to wrong and ruin those he hates if they give him the slightest opportunity. I knew that you could not keep up an acquaintance with your cousin without being brought into contact with him, and I knew he would detest you on my account. So for your own good and nothing else, I took precautions that you should not see Linton again. I meant to explain this sometime as you grew older, and I am sorry I delayed it. But Mr. Heathcliff was quite cordial, papa, observed Catherine, not at all convinced. And he didn't object to our seeing each other. He said I might come to his house when I pleased, only I must not tell you, because you had quarrelled with him, and would not forgive him for marrying Aunt Isabella. And you won't. You are the one to be blamed. He is willing to let us be friends at least, Linton and I, and you are not. My master, perceiving that she would not take his word for her uncle-in-law's evil disposition, gave a hasty sketch of his conduct to Isabella, and the manner in which Wuthering Heights became his property. He could not bear to discourse long upon the topic, for though he spoke little of it, he still felt the same horror and detestation of his ancient enemy that had occupied his heart ever since Mrs. Linton's death. She might have been living yet if it had not been for him, was his constant bitter reflection. And in his eyes Heathcliff seemed a murderer. Miss Cathy, conversant with no bad deeds except her own slight acts of disobedience, injustice and passion, arising from hot temper and thoughtlessness, and repented of on the day they were committed, was amazed at the blackness of spirit that could brood on and cover revenge for years, and deliberately prosecute its plans without a visitation of remorse. She appeared so deeply impressed and shocked at this new view of human nature, excluded from all her studies and all her ideas till now, that Mr. Edgar deemed it unnecessary to pursue the subject. He merely added, "'You will know hereafter, darling, why I wish you to avoid his house and family. Now return to your old employments and amusements, and think no more about them.' Catherine kissed her father, and sat down quietly to her lessons for a couple of hours, according to custom. Then she accompanied him into the grounds, and the whole day passed as usual. But in the evening, when she had retired to her room, and I went to help her to undress, I found her crying on her knees by the bedside. "'Oh, fie, silly child!' I exclaimed. If you had any real griefs, you'd be ashamed to waste a tear on this little contrariety. You never had one shadow of substantial sorrow, Miss Catherine. Suppose for a minute that Master and I were dead, 
and you were by yourself in the world, how would you feel then? Compare the present occasion with such an affliction as that, and be thankful for the friends you have instead of coveting more. I'm not crying for myself, Ellen, she answered. It's for him. He expected to see me again tomorrow, and there he'll be so disappointed, and he'll wait for me, and I shan't come. Nonsense, said I. Do you imagine he has thought as much of you as you have of him? Hasn't he Hareton for a companion? Not one in a hundred would weep at losing a relation they'd just seen twice for two afternoons. Linton will conjecture how it is, and trouble himself no further about you. But may I not write a note to tell him why I cannot come? She asked, rising to her feet. And just send those books I promised to lend him. His books are not as nice as mine, and he wanted to have them extremely when I told him how interesting they were. May I not, Ellen? No, indeed, no, indeed, replied I with decision. Then he would write to you, and there'd never be an end of it. No, Miss Catherine, the acquaintance must be dropped entirely. So Papa expects, and I shall see that it is done. But how can one little note, she recommenced, putting on an imploring countenance. Silence, I interrupted. We'll not begin with your little notes. Get into bed. She threw at me a very naughty look, so naughty that I would not kiss her good night at first. I covered her up and shut her door in great displeasure. But repenting halfway, I returned softly, and lo, there was Miss, standing at the table with a bit of blank paper before her and a pencil in her hand, which she guiltily slipped out of sight on my entrance. "'You'll get nobody to take that, Catherine,' I said, "'if you write it, and at present I shall put out your candle.' I set the extinguisher on the flame, receiving as I did so a slap on my hand and a petulant cross thing. I then quitted her again, and she drew the bolt in one of her worst, most peevish humours. The letter was finished and forwarded to its destination by a milk fetcher who came from the village, but that I didn't learn till some time afterwards. Weeks passed on, and Cathy recovered her temper, though she grew wondrous fond of stealing off to corners by herself, and often, if I came near her suddenly while reading, she would start and bend over the book, evidently desirous to hide it, and I detected edges of loose paper sticking out beyond the leaves. She also got a trick of coming down early in the morning and lingering about the kitchen, as if she were expecting the arrival of something. And she had a small drawer in a cabinet in the library, which she would trifle over for hours, and whose key she took special care to remove when she left it. One day, as she inspected this drawer, I observed that the playthings and trinkets which recently formed its contents were transmuted into bits of folded paper, my curiosity and suspicions were roused, 
I determined to take a peep at her mysterious treasures. So at night, as soon as she and my master were safe upstairs, I searched, and readily found among my house-keys one that would fit the lock. Having opened, I emptied the whole contents into my apron, and took them with me to examine at leisure in my own chamber. Though I could not but suspect, I was still surprised to discover that they were a mass of correspondence, daily almost it must have been, from Linton Heathcliff, answers to documents forwarded by her. The earlier dated were embarrassed and short. Gradually, however, they expanded into copious love-letters, foolish, as the age of the writer rendered natural, yet with touches here and there which I thought were borrowed from a more experienced source. Some of them struck me as singularly odd compounds of ardour and flatness, commencing in strong feeling and concluding in the affected wordy style that a schoolboy might use to a fancied incorporeal sweetheart. Whether they satisfied Cathy, I don't know, but they appeared very worthless trash to me. After turning over as many as I thought proper, I tied them in a handkerchief and set them aside, re-locking the vacant drawer. Following her habit, my young lady descended early and visited the kitchen. I watched her go to the door on the arrival of a certain little boy, and while the dairymaid filled his can, she tucked something into his jacket pocket and plucked something out. I went round by the garden and laid wait for the messenger, who fought valorously to defend his trust, and we spilt the milk between us. But I succeeded in abstracting the epistle, and threatening serious consequences if he did not look sharp home, I remained under the wall and perused Miss Cathy's affectionate composition. It was more simple and more eloquent than her cousin's, very pretty and very silly. I shook my head and went meditating into the house. The day being wet, she could not divert herself with rambling about the park, so at the conclusion of her morning studies she resorted to the solace of the drawer. Her father sat reading at the table, and I, on purpose, had sought a bit of work in some unripped fringes of the window-curtain, keeping my eye steadily fixed on her proceedings. Never did any bird flying back to a plundered nest, which it had left brim-full of chirping young ones, express more complete despair in its anguished cries and flutterings than she by her single, oh, and the change that transfigured her late happy countenance. Mr. Linton looked up. "'What is the matter, love? Have you hurt yourself?' he said. His tone and look assured her he had not been the discoverer of the hoard. "'No, papa,' she gasped. "'Ellen, Ellen, come upstairs. I'm sick.' I obeyed her summons and accompanied her out. "'Oh, Ellen, you have got them,' she commenced immediately, dropping on her knees when we were enclosed alone. "'Oh, give them to me, and I'll never, never do so again. 
Don't tell papa. You have not told papa, Ellen. Say you have not. I've been exceedingly naughty, but I won't do it any more. With a grave severity in my manner, I bade her stand up. So, I exclaimed, Miss Catherine, you are tolerably far on, it seems. You may well be ashamed of them. A fine bundle of trash you study in your leisure hours, to be sure. Why, it's good enough to be printed. And what do you suppose the master will think when I display it before him? I haven't shown it yet, but you needn't imagine I shall keep your ridiculous secrets. For shame! And you must have led the way in writing such absurdities. He would not have thought of beginning, I'm certain. I didn't! I didn't! sobbed Cathy, fit to break her heart. I didn't once think of loving him to— Loving! cried I, as scornfully as I could utter the word. Loving! Did anybody ever hear the like? I might just as well talk of loving the miller who comes once a year to buy our corn. Pretty loving, indeed, and both times together you have seen Linton hardly four hours in your life. Now here is the babyish trash. I'm going with it to the library, and we'll see what your father says to such loving. She sprang at her precious epistles, but I held them above my head, and then she poured out further frantic entreaties that I would burn them, do anything rather than show them. And being really fully as much inclined to laugh as scold, for I esteemed it all girlish vanity, I at length relented in a measure, and asked, "'If I consent to burn them, will you promise faithfully neither to send nor receive a letter again, nor a book, for I perceive you have sent him books, nor locks of hair, nor rings, nor playthings?' "'We don't send playthings,' cried Catherine, her pride overcoming her shame." "'Nor anything at all, then, my lady,' I said. "'Unless you will, here I go.' "'I promise, Ellen,' she cried, catching my dress. "'Oh, put them in the fire, do, do!' But when I proceeded to open a place with the poker, the sacrifice was too painful to be borne. She earnestly supplicated that I would spare her one or two. "'One or two, Ellen!' "'to keep for Linton's sake.' "'I unknotted the handkerchief "'and commenced dropping them in from an angle, "'and the flame curled up the chimney. "'I will have one, you cruel wretch!' "'She screamed, darting her hand into the fire "'and drawing forth some half-consumed fragments "'at the expense of her fingers. "'Very well, and I will have some to exhibit to Papa.' I answered, shaking back the rest into the bundle and turning anew to the door. She emptied her blackened pieces into the flames and motioned me to finish the immolation. It was done. I stirred up the ashes and interred them under a shovelful of coals, and she, mutely and with a sense of intense injury, retired to her private apartment. 
I descended to tell my master that the young lady's qualm of sickness was almost gone, but I judged it best for her to lie down a while. She wouldn't dine, but she appeared at tea pale and red about the eyes, and marvellously subdued in outward aspect. Next morning I answered the letter by a slip of paper inscribed, Master Heathcliff is requested to send no more notes to Miss Linton, as she will not receive them. And henceforth the little boy came with vacant pockets. End of chapter 21 Recording by Ruth Golding Recording by Ruth Golding Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 22 Summer drew to an end, and early autumn. It was past Michaelmas, but the harvest was late that year, and a few of our fields were still uncleared. Mr. Linton and his daughter would frequently walk out among the reapers. At the carrying of the last sheaves, they stayed till dusk, and the evening happening to be chill and damp. My master caught a bad cold that settled obstinately on his lungs, and confined him indoors throughout the whole of the winter, nearly without intermission. Poor Cathy, frightened from her little romance, had been considerably sadder and duller since its abandonment, and her father insisted on her reading less and taking more exercise. She had his companionship no longer. I esteemed it a duty to supply its lack as much as possible with mine, an inefficient substitute, for I could only spare two or three hours from my numerous diurnal occupations to follow her footsteps, and then my society was obviously less desirable than his. On an afternoon in October, or the beginning of November, a fresh, watery afternoon, when the turf and paths were rustling with moist, withered leaves, and the cold blue sky was half hidden by clouds, dark grey streamers rapidly mounting from the west and boding abundant rain, I requested my young lady to forego her ramble, because I was certain of showers. She refused, and I unwillingly donned a cloak and took my umbrella to accompany her on a stroll to the bottom of the park a formal walk which she generally affected if low-spirited, and that she invariably was when Mr. Edgar had been worse than ordinary, a thing never known from his confession, but guessed both by her and me from his increased silence and the melancholy of his countenance. She went sadly on. There was no running or bounding now, though the chill wind might well have tempted her to race and often, from the side of my eye, I could detect her raising a hand and brushing something off her cheek. I gazed round for a means of diverting her thoughts. On one side of the road rose a high, rough bank, where hazels and stunted oaks, with their roots half exposed, held uncertain tenure. The soil was too loose for the latter, and strong winds had blown some nearly horizontal. In summer Miss Catherine delighted to climb along these trunks, 
and sit in the branches swinging twenty feet above the ground. And I, pleased with her agility and her light childish heart, still considered it proper to scold every time I caught her at such an elevation, but so that she knew there was no necessity for descending. From dinner to tea she would lie in her breeze-rocked cradle, doing nothing except singing old songs, my nursery law, to herself, or watching the birds, joint tenants, feed and entice their young ones to fly, or nestling with closed lids, half thinking, half dreaming, happier than words can express. Look, miss, I exclaimed, pointing to a nook under the roots of one twisted tree. Winter is not here yet. There's a little flower up yonder, the last bud from the multitude of bluebells that clouded those turf steps in July with a lilac mist. Will you clamber up and pluck it to show to papa? Cathy stared a long time at the lonely blossom trembling in its earthy shelter, and replied at length, No, I'll not touch it. But it looks melancholy, does it not, Ellen? Yes, I observed. About as starved and suckless as you, your cheeks are bloodless. Let us take hold of hands and run. You're so low, I dare say I shall keep up with you. No, she repeated, and continued sauntering on, pausing at intervals to muse over a bit of moss, or a tuft of blanched grass, or a fungus spreading its bright orange among the heaps of brown foliage, and ever and anon her hand was lifted to her averted face. Catherine, why are you crying, love? I asked, "'approaching and putting my arm over her shoulder. "'You mustn't cry because Papa has a cold. "'Be thankful it is nothing worse.' "'She now put no further restraint on her tears. "'Her breath was stifled by sobs. "'Oh, it will be something worse,' she said. "'And what shall I do when Papa and you leave me, "'and I am by myself?' I can't forget your words, Ellen. They are always in my ear. How life will be changed, how dreary the world will be, when Papa and you are dead. None can tell whether you won't die before us, I replied. It's wrong to anticipate evil. We'll hope there are years and years to come before any of us go. Master is young, and I am strong and hardly forty-five. "'My mother lived till eighty, a canty dame to the last. "'And suppose Mr. Linton was spared till he saw sixty. "'That would be more years than you have counted, miss. "'And would it not be foolish to mourn a calamity above twenty years beforehand? "'But Aunt Isabella was younger than Papa,' she remarked, "'gazing up with timid hope to seek further consolation.' "'Aunt Isabella had not you and me to nurse her,' I replied. "'She wasn't as happy as Master. "'She hadn't as much to live for. "'All you need do is to wait well on your father "'and cheer him by letting him see you cheerful "'and avoid giving him anxiety on any subject. "'Mind that, Cathy.' 
I'll not disguise but you might kill him if you were wild and reckless, and cherished a foolish, fanciful affection for the son of a person who would be glad to have him in his grave, and allowed him to discover that you fretted over the separation he has judged it expedient to make. I fret about nothing on earth except papa's illness, answered my companion. I care for nothing in comparison with papa, and I'll never, never, oh never while I have my senses, do an act or say a word to vex him. I love him better than myself, Ellen, and I know it by this. I pray every night that I may live after him, because I would rather be miserable than that he should be. That proves I love him better than myself. Good words, I replied, but deeds must prove it also, and after he is well, remember you don't forget resolutions formed in the hour of fear. As we talked, we neared a door that opened on the road, and my young lady, lightening into sunshine again, climbed up and seated herself on the top of the wall. "'reaching over to gather some hips "'that bloomed scarlet on the summit branches "'of the wild rose-trees shadowing the highway side. "'The lower fruit had disappeared, "'but only birds could touch the upper, "'except from Cathy's present station. "'In stretching to pull them, her hat fell off, "'and as the door was locked, "'she proposed scrambling down to recover it.' I bid her be cautious lest she got a fall, and she nimbly disappeared. But the return was no such easy matter. The stones were smooth and neatly cemented, and the rose-bushes and blackberry stragglers could yield no assistance in reascending. I, like a fool, didn't recollect that, till I heard her laughing and exclaiming, "'Ellen, you'll have to fetch the key, or else I must run round to the porter's lodge.' "'I can't scale the ramparts on this side.' "'Stay where you are,' I answered. "'I have my bundle of keys in my pocket. "'Perhaps I may manage to open it. "'If not, I'll go.' "'Catherine amused herself with dancing to and fro before the door "'while I tried all the large keys in succession. "'I had applied the last and found that none would do.' So, repeating my desire that she would remain there, I was about to hurry home as fast as I could, when an approaching sound arrested me. It was the trot of a horse. Cathy's dance stopped also. "'Who is that?' I whispered. "'Ellen, I wish you could open the door,' whispered back my companion anxiously. "'Oh, Miss Linton,' cried a deep voice, the rider's. "'I'm glad to meet you. "'Don't be in haste to enter, "'for I have an explanation to ask and obtain.' "'I shan't speak to you, Mr. Heathcliff,' "'answered Catherine. "'Papa says you are a wicked man, "'and you hate both him and me, "'and Ellen says the same.' "'That is nothing to the purpose,' "'said Heathcliff. "'He it was. "'I don't hate my son, I suppose, "'and it is concerning him "'that I demand your attention.' "'Yes, you have cause to blush. Two or three months since, were you not in the habit of writing to Linton? "'Making love in play, eh? "'You deserved both of you flogging for that, "'you especially the elder.' 
and less sensitive as it turns out. I've got your letters, and if you give me any pertness, I'll send them to your father. I presume you grew weary of the amusement and dropped it, didn't you? Well, you dropped Linton with it into a slough of despond. He was in earnest, in love, really. As true as I live, he's dying for you, breaking his heart at your fickleness, not figuratively, but actually. Though Hareton has made him a standing jest for six weeks, and I have used more serious measures, and attempted to frighten him out of his idiotcy, he gets worse daily, and he'll be under the sod before summer unless you restore him. "'How can you lie so glaringly to the poor child?' I called from the inside. "'Pray ride on. How can you deliberately get up such paltry falsehoods? "'Miss Cathy, I'll knock the lock off with a stone. You won't believe that vile nonsense.' "'You can feel in yourself it is impossible that a person should die for love of a stranger.' "'I was not aware there were eavesdroppers,' muttered the detected villain. "'Worthy Mrs. Dean, I like you, but I don't like your double-dealing,' he added aloud. "'How could you lie so glaringly as to affirm I hated the poor child?' "'and invent bugbear stories to terrify her from my door-stones. "'Catherine Linton, the very name warms me. "'My bonny lass, I shall be from home all this week. "'Go and see if I have not spoken truth. "'Do, there's a darling. "'Just imagine your father in my place and Linton in yours.' "'Then think how you would value your careless lover "'if he refused to stir a step to comfort you "'when your father himself entreated him. "'And don't from pure stupidity fall into the same error. "'I swear on my salvation he's going to his grave "'and none but you can save him.' "'The lock gave way and I issued out. "'I swear Linton is dying.' "'repeated Heathcliff, looking hard at me. "'And grief and disappointment are hastening his death. "'Nelly, if you won't let her go, you can walk over yourself, "'but I shall not return till this time next week, "'and I think your master himself would scarcely object "'to her visiting her cousin.' "'Come in,' said I, taking Cathy by the arm "'and half-forcing her to re-enter, for she lingered, "'viewing with troubled eyes the features of the speaker, "'too stern to express his inward deceit. "'He pushed his horse close, and bending down observed, "'Miss Catherine, I'll own to you that I've little patience with Linton, "'and Hareton and Joseph have less. "'I'll own that he's with a harsh set. "'He pines for kindness as well as love.' "'and a kind word from you would be his best medicine. "'Don't mind Mrs. Dean's cruel cautions, "'but be generous and contrive to see him. "'He dreams of you day and night, "'and cannot be persuaded that you don't hate him, "'since you neither write nor call.' "'I closed the door and rolled a stone "'to assist the loosened lock in holding it, 
and spreading my umbrella I drew my charge underneath, for the rain began to drive through the morning branches of the trees and warned us to avoid delay. Our hurry prevented any comment on the encounter with Heathcliff as we stretched towards home, but I divined instinctively that Catherine's heart was clouded now in double darkness. Her features were so sad they did not seem hers. She evidently regarded what she had heard as every syllable true. The master had retired to rest before we came in. Cathy stole to his room to inquire how he was. He had fallen asleep. She returned and asked me to sit with her in the library. We took our tea together, and afterwards she lay down on the rug and told me not to talk, for she was weary. I got a book and pretended to read. As soon as she supposed me absorbed in my occupation, she recommenced her silent weeping. It appeared at present a favourite diversion. I suffered her to enjoy it a while, then I expostulated deriding and ridiculing all Mr. Heathcliff's assertions about his son, as if I were certain she would coincide. Alas, I hadn't skill to counteract the effect his account had produced. It was just what he intended. "'You may be right, Ellen,' she answered. "'But I shall never feel at ease till I know.' "'and I must tell Linton it is not my fault that I don't write "'and convince him that I shall not change.' "'What use were anger and protestations against her silly credulity? "'We parted that night hostile, "'but next day beheld me on the road to Wuthering Heights "'by the side of my willful young mistress's pony. "'I couldn't bear to witness her sorrow.' to see her pale, dejected countenance and heavy eyes, and I yielded in the faint hope that Linton himself might prove by his reception of us how little of the tale was founded on fact. End of chapter 22 Recording by Ruth Golding